Amen. As you're turning to Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, this is a popular passage in our sermon series on the church. We're on lesson number 12 today. We'll see how long we can go. And it says, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. So there are not multiple churches. When we use that language, what we mean is multiple gatherings. So uh, Metro Praise Church is gathering here today. Uh, Northside Baptist is gathering over there. This Orthodox Church here, this Catholic Church here. And we mean to say there are gatherings. And that's okay because the New Testament uses that language as well. There are gatherings, plural, churches, plural. Like when you think about the book of Revelation, Jesus is speaking to the seven churches. How many have heard that before? But when we talk about the body of Christ, we're talking about the singular body of Christ, and that body of Christ is known to be one church. Jesus is not a polygamist. He does not have multiple wives. He has one wife, the bride of Christ, which is his body. Can I hear an amen to that? Amen. So everyone get that. That's a theological point. That means wherever people are across the world today gathering in the name of Jesus, they are a part of the one church. So sometimes you may meet a sassy Roman Catholic who will say, we are the one church. And what I do, just, just for fun, is I step away and I say, you and the Orthodox, you guys settle that and then come talk to me. Because they have already had divisions among themselves that are ancient, ancient divisions. And it's not just among the Orthodox and the Roman Catholics, it's also with the Coptics, the churches of the East, and the um, Assyrian churches. Uh, the church of the East is Assyrians, but it's the Coptics, the Ethiopian rather, and the Assyrian churches of the East. There are three with the Eastern Orthodox, with the Roman Catholic, five if you're talking about major groups that all go back to antiquity and they fight amongst themselves and they are not in communion with each other. And so when they talk like that to a Protestant, that may seem intimidating because they'll say something like, oh, your church started in the 1500s. Ours goes back to Peter. Not if you're a born again Christian. If you're a born-again Christian, how many know your church goes back to Peter? Can I hear an amen to that? So don't let anyone intimidate you by saying you do not have apostolic succession going back to Peter. Yes, you do. If you have the word of God today, as it was just read in your hearing, you have Peter's authority. Can I hear an amen? It says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That was not just given to Peter and then those that Peter would choose to give it to through succession. Go to Matthew chapter 18, please. That authority came then to all the apostles, and the apostles passed that authority down to their disciples. Look at Matthew chapter 18, verse 19. And notice this, or rather, a verse chapter 18, verse 18, and we'll read all the way down to 19. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now just scroll up just a little bit, and you'll see there in verse 15 that this is a matter of, of how to settle matters of sin in the church. And then you go to verse 17, and it says, if they still refuse to listen to the who? To the church, verse 17, if they refuse to listen, tell it to the what? The church. Thank you. Now go down to verse 19. Again, truly I tell you, if any two of you, does it say any apostles? Does it say any certain bishops? No, it says if any two of you agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. 
So somebody who tries to assert their church authority, their gathering over the body of Christ, needs to have more than the passages we just read. Because the passages we just read in Matthew 16 and in Matthew 18 teach us that wherever the Christians are, there is the authority of binding and loosing. Now go with me quickly to 1 Timothy chapter 3. What you begin to see is that that church appoints elders and deacons. Everybody say elders and deacons. Thank you. You guys are awesome this morning helping me out. I appreciate that. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. We've read it before. Here's a trustworthy saying, whoever desires to be an overseer desires a noble task. And then it gives the requirements of this. Timothy is there on behalf of Paul appointing elders and deacons. And those are um, the terms that we're seeing there, overseer, elder, uh, and bishop. Those are all interchangeable, and I could show you that in Titus as well. But go to chapter 3, verse 8. In the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect. So everybody just get a big overview picture here of the church. The church is established through Peter's confession of who Jesus Christ is. Then others, after Peter, start confessing who Jesus is, and then Jesus gives them, as well as Peter, that authority to bind and loose. He then says that the church will be wherever two or three are gathered together. As that church begins to expand after uh, the day of Pentecost from the apostles, it reaches places like Ephesus, and Paul there with that apostolic authority asserts what leadership in the church must be like. This is the body of Christ. Can I hear an amen to this? Amen. It does not require you to be legitimate to be legitimate to be under a successor that a Roman Catholic church has come up with or a orthodox church has come up with or an Anglican. All that you are required to do to be a biblical Christian is to be under the authority of the writings of the apostles and the elders and deacons who have been rightly appointed from that day forward. Now, sometimes people say, well, look at you Protestants. You don't just have one pope. You have a thousand popes. Look at all your popes. Look at Bishop so-and-so. They do their own thing over here. Look at this church over here. And so we would rather have one magisterium than all of these uh, uh, divisions that you have amongst yourselves. But that's not even true for themselves. As I've just showed you, there are five at least bodies of ancient movements, the Ethiopians, the Coptics, the churches of the East, the Orthodox, and the Roman Catholics who all debate among themselves among themselves who is the most ancient. And if you're asking me, it seems like it would be the Coptics or the Ethiopians due to their location and how they were reached first because Rome was not reached first. These other areas were reached first. Can I hear an amen to that? If you trust me on history there. And, and so that claim is not even proven among those who do it. But notice in the, the book of Revelation, when the seven churches are addressed, they're never addressed according to their apostolic secession they're addressed to the angel. Go there quickly to Revelation chapter 2. I was in an intense meeting where I had to call together some of the leaders of our church, and I was there because during COVID, they had not been trusting me as a leader. They had said that I was not communicating things well, and I said, I have a real easy way to settle this. We're going to get together. We're going to have a quorum. I'll be there as a leader of this church, I'll let you bring up any accusation uh, you want to say. And by the way, in the meeting, they dropped all accusations when they saw how serious it was. I then said, I will bring in two outside leaders so that 
It is not said of me that I simply used my pastor card to beat you on the head. So I will bring my pastor, who has been in my life almost 25 years. He will sit in this quorum. And then I'll bring close friends with me who have been in my life almost 25 years, missionaries that have preached here, the Nicoles, Tisa and Jean Nicole. And they will be witnesses and advisors to you in this meeting. Like I said, by the time they showed up to the meeting, all issues were dropped. Thank God. Can I hear an amen for integrity? But one of the things that happened after my pastor heard what I had been hearing, so it hadn't been necessarily confirmed by them. I'm not saying they were in trouble. It was just I needed to hear from them what was being said about my decisions during COVID, and it had to be said in an open forum where the trustworthiness of everybody uh, as integrity could be held, held open for scrutiny, mine as well as theirs. Well, after everything was said, and it was a little bit of nothing, it was, well, we didn't understand this Facebook post, or we didn't understand that. We do now, and we don't have an accusation to you not being a truthful man, etc. We do now trust you because if you remember during COVID, there was a time for about uh, 45 days we did meet online and that was because I felt like, let's see what this is. I didn't know if COVID would be the bubonic plague. But then over time, we made a decision to start meeting and in doing so, we were one of the first churches to do that and then we ran into the troubles with the mayor. And as uh, we have seen, there's only one out of those three families that are still with us because those two families' issue wasn't with my communication. It was with their cowardice and the things that were actually going on in their lives because of the stands we were taking. Can I hear an amen to bravery for Jesus? Amen. We need to stand with those who are standing for God, even if we don't always understand. Now I pray for their repentance and they can return at any time. But I say all of that to say this, when my pastor had heard the accusations and everything was said and done, he said, brothers, Sisters, I want you to know who Pastor Joe is. He is the angel to the church of Chicago. And if they had not understood the scriptures, they might have thought that my pastor had just said, I'm a six-winged cherubim or one of those naked baby angels that sometimes Aguila has as, you know, fountains or as pitchers in the bathroom. How many know what I'm talking about? I've grown up around some of those things. That, that, that's what he meant. No, that's not what he meant. Notice in Revelation chapter 2 that when Jesus is addressing the various gatherings, one body, one church, but the various gatherings of them, he doesn't address the apostolic leader. He does not address the succession. He doesn't go through what you would think of like a genealogy. And by the way, Mormons do that same thing to prove themselves from Joseph Smith. They have uh, those, those missionaries that you see. They have cards of ordination that have a genealogical trace back to Joseph Smith to give them the authority that they have. All that has really done is given them demonic authority, showing that you are just being faithful to a demon. And if you want to know the difference, here's a good history lesson between Shia and Sunni Muslims, Shia being predominantly in Iran, they are following a lineage of Muhammad's uh, uh, ancestors and their leadership, and that's where they greatly divide with the Sunnis. And they had been at war with them early on after Muhammad died. So imagine after Jesus died, people saying, we're only going to follow his relatives like James, and then those saying, well, no, will follow Paul, and then they begin to go at war and kill each other among the closest disciples and companions of Muhammad began to do so. So both of those histories, Islam and uh, Mormonism, show the demonic nature of their prophets and leaders. Now notice this, when Jesus is dealing with churches, he doesn't address the bishop, he doesn't address the apostolic authority, he says to the angel in the church in Ephesus right, and just go ahead and scroll down just a little bit so they can see now in verse 8, to the angel 
angel in the church of Smyrna, verse 12, to the angel of the church in Paragon, uh, verse 18, to the angel in Thyatira, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, to the angel in Sardis, and then chapter 3, verse 7, to the angel in Philadelphia. How many are getting the point here? In chapter 3, verse 14, to the angel in Laodicea. So who is the angel? Just highlight that Greek word there for us. Angelos simply means messenger. It does not mean the one that is a spirit creature walking in and out of walls, you know, walking in and out, a glowing. He's writing to the messenger. And why is this important? Because every congregation will have the one bringing forth the message. In this congregation, I am responsible, first and foremost, for bringing the message. I am the messenger of God to this local congregation. My job is to keep faithful to the message and then to share it with you so that you can give it to others. Can I hear an amen to that? Amen. Now let's go to our message. Look at your neighbor and say, that was just the introduction. Amen, amen, amen. Let's go to the blog. I'm going to show you some notes I've been wanting to get through. Because this is very important to understand. You are in a local congregation with a messenger sent to you to preach the gospel, to appoint elders and deacons, as Paul did with Timothy and Titus. Those are called the pastoral epistles. And I want you to see as we go to the chart, please, that each one of us has a role to play. And actually, though you may think my role is greater than yours, it's actually not. The only difference between my role and yours is the amount of accountability I have to the authority that I've been given. Just like fathers and mothers in a home, they have the authority to decide what happens there, but that doesn't make them greater in their nature or in their wisdom to even their children. How many know parents can learn from children? I'm not talking about smart Alex. I'm just talking about learning from children. Are you better than everything that your children do? Come on, parents. I was playing Nate, your son, you know, Nathan in basketball. That guy had me winded within a few moments, you know. To, to say to myself, I'm better than him because I'm older than him is ridiculous. Uh, to, to those of you who are studying things, even the young ones here in high school, if you're studying chemistry, you probably know right now one page of chemistry. You probably, if you've looked at that page, you know more of that one page than I know of all the entire things of chemistry combined. And some of you are going page after page after page. It's amazing what young people can do. But that doesn't mean that that takes away the authority of the parents. Same thing in marriage. Just because God said that the husband has the final authority, that doesn't mean he's smarter than his wife. Can I hear an amen from some women today? I mean, obviously, obviously, I've, looked at, I've, I've married and I've been around for a while. So many of our wives are smarter than us. So many. It's not even, it's not even a joke anymore. It's just the truth. It's just a fact. It's just a fact of the matter. It's like, don't even try to argue with her on that. But that doesn't mean that the authority has shifted to the smartest one. The authority of the home, as Bible says, is not to the smartest one. It's to the male's role. God decided in his sovereignty how to set up roles. Some of them are according to gender. Some of them are according to qualifications. So in other words, a father, by his male role, is in authority over the family, even if he's not qualified yet. 
as many people say, there's a difference between a baby daddy or someone who makes a baby and to a father. Can I hear an amen from the men on that? So you are a father or a dad by definition of making a baby, but that doesn't mean you're a good one. So you need to come up to the authority to the place that you're at. And what we're looking at in the church is the same kind of thing. You may be a Christian, and that may be honestly so, but you may not be a good one. Let's just be honest about that. Many people in churches are not good Christians. There are such things as good Christians and bad Christians. There are such things that God blesses and rewards, and then there's other things that God rebukes and that he uh, is is, uh, upset about. As we went through those seven churches, read through them at your own time. I've already done a sermon series on it if you want that as well. You'll see that he has positives and negatives about every church. So he's not sitting back saying, well, I'm so happy you're here. I'm insecure. Thank you for coming to my party. You know, you came on Sunday. I feel so secure about myself now. I was, I was wondering if I was Lord, but when you said I was Lord, uh, my confidence meter went up. And uh, I'm just so happy you're here. I can't wait for you to come over. I'll have everything prepared for you in heaven. So just, you know, do what you want, and I'll meet you up there. That's the exact opposite. I mean, that's the exact opposite of Jesus in the parables. Jesus in the parables, like every single one of these parables, is about you doing something for Jesus, getting off of your holy backside, being active in your faith. You think about the parable of the talents. They're all given different amounts of talents, and they got to put them to work. And then the manager comes back and judges them based on their multiplication. You look at the, the virgins and these, these precious young girls waiting for the wedding, yet there's some foolish ones that don't get enough oil, and they miss out on the party because they left and came back, and he didn't feel sorry for them. He kept him out, kept those ladies out. Can I hear men to Jesus? It's like sometimes I wonder, are you even reading the same Bible? Now, at the same time, somebody might say, well, are we saved by works then? No, we are saved by grace through faith. And everything else we do in Christianity is by grace through faith. So know this, that all of our good works are based in the knowledge of God's power and strength in us. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. That's going to get you up and get you doing something. Amen? We're more than a conqueror. All of that is by grace through faith. So it's not like we get saved by grace through faith, and now we get working for Jesus, and he just leaves us all by ourselves. Go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, please. We never not want to forget this. It's by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves, lest any man should boast. It's not of works, lest any man should boast, right? That's Ephesians 2, 8. But then you go to Ephesians 2, 10, for we are the workmanship, or the handiwork, or the masterpiece of God created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That means a Christian has to go against God's preparation in doing bad works to, to miss the good works. In other words, good works are obvious to the Christian now. Good works, good works should come natural and should come out of the abundance of their heart. How many of you, when you first became a Christian, saw that God had things prepared for you that you didn't even have anybody talk to you about but became natural to you? Anybody else that the Lord just spoke to you? I took out the hoop earrings. That was between me and the Lord because God had a good work for me to stop being so vain as a young adult. I stopped hanging out with girls. I stopped listening to secular music. I stopped going out to my friends. Nobody told me any of that. I didn't go to a church that said, hey, take out your earrings. Nothing wrong with earrings, by the way. This just was for me. Nothing wrong with secular music, but this was for me. God just started telling me all of this. No, no one told me to start feeding the needy. 
I was driving pizzas, doing roofing on the side. I just had a burning in my heart. I want to go give this away. So I started going out, knocking on doors, giving out groceries, going to the inner city. No one told me to do that. As a matter of fact, by the time it was going, the pastor's son came to me and said, hey, can I join? And I'm like, sure. And he's like, I'll talk to my dad to see if we can do some things in the church because I didn't go to a church like this where there were opportunities, you know, 10 times a week to go do stuff in the community. There was nowhere to go to get that stuff done. So I just started doing it. I would save up my money. At that time, I had the Saturn that my parents gave me, and I, go, I would go to the food bank. And you know how I figured that out? By just asking people. I said, man, where do you get groceries to give it away? So one guy said, talk to this person, talk to this person. So I got a membership at the Fort Wayne, Indiana Food Bank. And I went over there with $100, and they would give me 10 cents a pound. How many pounds of food would I get with $100 if it was 10 cents a pound, math class? A 1,000 pounds of food. Man, that Saturn would get filled. And I would just roll up, and I would just start handing it out. No one told me to do that. That was a good work. Also, during the Three Rivers Festival, which is like the taste of Chicago out here, it's a big thing. It fills up the downtown of Fort Wayne. I felt the Lord to tell me to start street preaching. No one ever even taught me how to street preach. None of my friends even street preach. And I went to where my sinner friends were at. I went to where all the skateboarders were at in Fryman Square. Almost got in a couple fights because I was saved, but I wasn't that saved. If anybody knows what I'm talking about, they were messing with me. And I'm like, listen to me. I just gave my heart to Jesus two weeks ago, but I still got some hands. Do you all want to test? I was, I was so serious. I was so close. And you got to remember part of my testimony is I got into a fight even after a Christian. I hung out with the wild bunch, okay? And I didn't know how to be patient. But I'll tell you what, I went out there. I humbled myself. I let them insult me. I preached to them the gospel, and I started seeing people saved. One young man got saved, and he still stays in touch with me. He's from that time way back then. That was a good work. You have to know what God has called you to do. Go back to those notes, please. Look at this chart. I want to go through each passage now. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8, and let's get into it. Are you all ready? I said, are you all ready? Amen. This is a good work. This is a good work. Start in chapter 12, verse 1. Talk about spiritual gifts. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Why are most Christians not good at being Christians? Because they're uninformed. You've been trained on your job. Have you been trained in church? Come on, man. I just thought we showed up here and did something. No, you get trained. You get trained to do everything else. Why aren't you getting trained here? Well, Jesus knows my heart. Yeah, he knows you need training. That's why he told you to get it. But we think to ourselves, church is about me. I come here for my motivational speech. You know, a lot of churches are like that. I come here to get my Jesus juice, get my Holy Ghost testosterone and endorphin shot, you know, feel good about myself. That's great that church does that. I feel so much joy every time we come to this church. And the praises go up, blessings go down. We encourage each other. How many can feel the vibe in this place, the energy? Hallelujah. It's Holy Ghost. Well, I'm spiritual. You better check your spirits, man, because they're not always holy. Amen. How make us feel the holy vibe in this church. Praise God. We got a holy vibe. Okay, but you better get informed about that. You need to learn about that. You need to study about that to show yourself approved. Not everyone here, not everyone here, let's be honest, is giving it their all for Jesus. And you got to be convicted by that. I'm convicted by that. Man, am I giving my all at 48, uh, 46? Am I doing all that God called me to do? If, If I don't live with that conviction, then I can become lazy just like anybody else. 
I mean, I could preach the same sermons over and over again. I could talk about these books and that books and then just become a, you know, a, a shadow of what I once was. I have to be growing in Christ. Let me just show you the last thing that I did for my personal self uh, to, to grow in Christ. Uh, Free Chapel, Pastor Jensen Franklin, I love him. He's one of my favorite preachers, had like a 14-day revival with Perry Stone out there. It was in my heart to listen to every single one of them. I just finished the last one Saturday. So I, I listened to 14 revival services, I believe, or 12, something like that. And you don't think I don't know what he's talking about. Most of the time, I know Jesus. How many know the pastor knows Jesus? I know repent of my sins. But I just had to sit under it. I had to be encouraged by it. I had to see what God was doing in another place. I had to grow. Also, I'm always challenging myself to listen to new worship music, to hear what God is doing around the world, and to be encouraged by the testimonies of brothers and sisters. Always stay informed. Always stay busy for Jesus, but don't burn out. Burn up. Amen? So he said, I don't want you to be uninformed about what the gifts of the Spirit are. We're here to do stuff for Jesus. God has given us these gifts, just like he gave us the gift of salvation, just like you got the gift of salvation if you're saved. If you're not, get saved today. But if you are saved, you receive the gift of salvation, receive the gifts of the Spirit. Understand what's on the inside of you needs to come out. Don't be ignorant, as it says in the King James, or uninformed here in the NIV. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God can say Jesus is cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, that's a litmus test when you're dealing with other religions or demonic forces that say they came from God. Ask them if they can say Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Yahweh, Jesus is the creator of the heavens and earth, and you'll see what kind of spirit you're dealing with real quick. Well, my grandma comes to visit me every night. Ask that spirit to say Jesus is Lord and you'll see what you'll see a sound you never heard from Aguila come out of that spirit. Okay? You'll, you'll, you'll see some confrontation. Ah! Now Aguila, you ain't Aguila. Get out here in the name of Jesus, you lying devil. Because spirits will come spiritual and new agey and all that. Ask him who is Lord. Ask him who is boss. Ask him who's in charge of the realm of the spirits. It's Jesus. Amen. Now, notice this right here. This is a gift that I'm giving you right here. This is something the Lord showed me. I don't say this often, but this is something the Lord showed me, and other pastors have told me, man, I never saw this before. This is just uh, studying that the Lord gave me, and it's in the chart. And many of you, if I, let's be honest, had looked at that chart, but you didn't catch this. Notice that now there's going to be three divisions of gifts, and they're going to come from the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Spirit. See, many of you are like me. You're Pentecostal. You've been brought up in this. You know where I'm going with these spiritual gifts. But did you know there's a threefold division right here? And I'm not the first one to explain it the way I am. I have heard others explain it, but no one taught it to me. It was by the Holy Spirit. Notice this. There are different kinds of what? Gifts. Let's just remember this. When we talk about y'all getting busy for Jesus, doing work for God, it's already given to you. It's a gift. Can I hear the word gift again? Amen. So there are different kinds of gifts. But the same Spirit distributes them all. So notice that it's the Spirit that's going to be active in distributing the gifts. There are different kinds of service, but the same what? Lord. So we got the Holy Spirit. Now we got Jesus as Lord. There are different kinds of what? Working, but, all, but in all of them and in everyone, it's the same what? God at work. Go back to that chart and see if you caught it. Notice what it says. Spirit's going to be giving gifts. The, the Lord is going to be giving service. And God the Father is going to be giving works. Does everybody see that? 
Go back again and just maybe highlight it in your Bible or on your app. Notice that. Different kinds of gifts coming from that spirit, the Holy Spirit. Different kinds of service coming from the Lord. And different kinds of working coming from God. Now, notice this right here, that oftentimes people try to say, like Jehovah Witnesses, well, he may be Lord, but he's not God. My friends, if Lord is not God in the Bible, you don't know what God is and who Lord is. Lord in God is the same terminology of a divine, all-powerful being. Hear, O Israel, Deuteronomy 6, 4, the Lord, thy God, the Lord is one. Notice that, even threefold, Lord, God, Lord is one, Father, Son, Spirit. What Paul does is he designates the term Yahweh, Jehovah, believe it or not, they don't even see it in front of them like Jehovah Witnesses. They say he's Lord like a landlord, but then everywhere else that's convenient in the New Testament, they'll insert the Hebrew word Yahweh or Jehovah for whenever it's talking about the Father. But whenever it's talking about Jesus, they'll just leave it as Lord. Do you all get what I'm saying here? They go to the New Testament written by Greek, have no permission to change any words, but they will. And whenever Jesus is called Lord, they leave it just the way that it is. But whenever the Father's called Lord, then they change it to Yahweh. That's a, that's a lie. That's a deception. Go to Romans, separate tab, please. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. How many know when you proclaim Jesus as Lord, you're proclaiming him to be Yahweh of the Bible? How do I know that? Because the quotation that Paul gives you is from the Old Testament. If you declare with your mouth, what? Jesus is what? Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be what? Save. Now just go down. It's the same passage. It's all right here. Verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be what? Saved. And just touch that F right there. You can see the reference. Notice that I believe this is in Joel right here. Right there. Notice it here. This is going to be, I believe, in Joel chapter uh, 2. Of course, that ball is going to come up because it's full of the devil. Yeah, Joel 2.32. Go there quickly with me. Jesus is Lord as Jesus is the Yahweh. You don't have two gods in the Bible, three gods. You have one God, one Lord, revealed in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. Anyone who calls on the name of the what? Lord will be saved. You see it all caps in the English? Put the mouse over there for me, please. That's Yohevahe. That's the divine name of God. That's what Paul said you got to call Jesus to be saved. Amen. Amen. Now, going back to the chart, that's Lanyep, as we say in Creole in the South. That's on extra, y'all. You just got blessed right there. But notice this. Holy Spirit pouring out these nine gifts. The Son giving us these nine services, which are also gifts, gifts of service. And then the Father being responsible for the working, seven of them, as we find in the Scripture. Now, some people get a little bit confused, and they say, well, are these just parts of a pie? No, they're all mingled together. This is the same God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They're inseparable, and these gifts are inseparable. So in other words, you don't want to just limit yourself and say, well, I just got the gift of wisdom. What you want to say is I got all the nine gifts, but the Holy Spirit manifests, you know, more frequently this gift. Can I hear an amen? How many know if you got an orange, you got all of it, even though you just peeling about that first piece off, that next piece off? Now, notice that's the same thing with the fruit of the Spirit. It doesn't say fruits of the Spirit. It says fruit of the Spirit, singular, like an orange. One fruit has it all, amen? So you got, you, you got the same Jesus that made apostles inside of you. You have a resource to be an apostle today. Don't say that the Lord couldn't use you to do that. You have the same ability to be a prophet today. The one who made prophets, prophets, is on the inside of you, Jesus, amen? And the same God the Father that worked all of these things in other people's lives is in your life. So I don't want you to limit yourself. 
I've limited myself. I thought to myself, I could never be a pastor. If you ask my friends in Bible college, what gift on the five-fold ministry service gifts does Joe have, they would probably point to everyone but pastor. And then if you ask them, what, what gift does he not have? Which one is the furthest from him? They would probably say pastor. Why? Because what were most of them thinking a pastor was in the 90s and early 2000s? They're thinking of somebody that always comes in a suit and tie, a little bit older of a gentleman. I was only 22 when I started my first church, by God's grace. And uh, they're thinking of somebody that's maybe more soft-spoken. The evangelist is the loud one. The apostle is the strong-willed one. But the shepherd is where we get the word pastor. Shepherd, Pomona, it's the same word there. The shepherd is just more gentle, more chill, and, and, and maybe more like how you would think of like Andy Griffith from back in the day, you know, just somebody really chill. So they, they didn't think that I could be a pastor, but how many know if I had Jesus on the inside of me, I could be whatever he wants me to be. It, 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 listen to me, brothers and sisters. It don't have to look like somebody else to be your gift. I got a, a picture I want to show you right now because I think you all get this. How many remember Britain's Got Talent when Susan Boyle came out and sang and just caught the whole world by storm? And, and then some of the reasons, if you could put that up for me, please, brother, some of the reasons that it, it made such a big difference is because she didn't look like anybody you thought who should be able to sing like that. When she came on that stage, I'm not here to body shame her. I'm not here to, to say anything about her. But how many know that, you know, she just doesn't look like Celine Dion, she doesn't look like Mariah Carey. She didn't have a look that would make you think that this is the one that can just sing and just, man, just blow the roofs off the building, blow the roof off the building. Now look at her, man. And, and by the way, she's a Christian, I, and I haven't seen her lose her testimony, okay? From what I understand, she's a Christian. She lives as a Christian. She's honorable, and she's kept that. Now, now notice there on, on this side right here, how many know she got her hair done? How many know she got, you know, she got some makeup on here that looks right to her skin tone? And, and uh, it looks like, man, she's got some bling in those earrings right there. Paid. She's been getting paid right here. Let me ask you a question. Which, which version of Susan Boyle is a better singer? Neither. Neither. It's a trick question. It's the same person. See, this is what a lot of us think in church. Come on, think about this. A lot of us think in church, well, if I'm called to do this, I got to look like that. I got to look like that pastor. I got to look like this person I've seen on the internet. I got to be like this. And you're missing. It's the same gift in both people. And what God is looking for is just to come up there with your frizzy hair and give it all you got in Jesus' name. Come on, just get up there and do it. It doesn't mean you're not going to be trained. She was trained, but she didn't have that kind of training on the outside. And so many people are missing it, just like Samuel. He's looking for the next... He's looking for the next president, king of Israel, you know, and he's looking at all the brothers there, and he's looking at all of these stat, all these people and their stature and their ability and how strong they are, and he says, man, the anointing's not coming on any of these. I've already picked one like that before, Saul, and he let us all down. Do you have any other sons, Jesse? I've looked at all of these, and what does Jesse the father say? The father doesn't even believe in David. He said, oh, man, don't worry about the other one, man. That's, that's David. That's the shepherd. Nobody cares about him. He looks like this. He looks like he got his jewelry at, you know, at the Sitco. You know, he got it at the dollar store. You don't go get him. He's not put together. He don't got it all, all look, you know, looking right. No, no, go bring that one. And then the anointing comes. 
Because God doesn't look on the outside, he looks on the inside. He was looking for a man after his own heart. Somebody that knew how to get alone with him. Someone that wasn't doing it for the show, wasn't doing it to impress us, but just wanted to play the harp and sing songs because he knew God was good. Every day was a good day with Jesus. He was going to bless his name no matter what. Amen? And then that's that same David that went and fought Goliath. And so I'm so happy a sister like that one because I feel like I'm her of the pastors. I don't look as cute as Joel Osteen. I don't preach as good as T.D. Jakes. I can't do a lot of what these other people do. I'm not fashionable like Steve Furtick and all these people. I'm not a southern preacher like Jetson Franklin. I feel like I'm this one, as some people would say, like the yellow Power Ranger. You know, I'm like the one nobody wants, you know. I'm, I'm the diet fab in the, in the back of the fridge. Nobody picking me first, you know. Or, uh, you know, or Fabuloso or Tab. What am I thinking of that drink, you know? Is there a fab? Tab. That's what I meant, Tab. Yeah, that one that we used to have in the back of our fridge, you know. It's like, Mom, Mom I'll get some new drinks. Oh, there's some Tab back there. And I'm like, no, man, I don't want that one. Couldn't even remember. Just a weird memory came into my mind. Looking back into that yellow refrigerator. I don't know if anybody knows what I'm talking about, those old yellow refrigerators. Come on, man. Man, that's how you feel. Like you're the last pick. You're not the Mountain Dew. You're not the Dr. Pepper. You're not the fun one. You're not the one everybody's picking on the team. But God's got a gift for you. Let's go back to our notes, please. Notice these gifts. They're being poured out by the Holy Spirit. They're being given to us by Jesus and God the Father. Now looking at our text. Here are the gifts, nine gifts of the Spirit that I believe are accentuated by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I also believe they're cheaply imitated by the devil. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 7. Now, to each one, notice it right there, chapter 12, verse 7, please. Now to each one, how many ones? Each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given the spirit of message of wisdom, through the spirit of message of wisdom, that's to know the future. To another, a message of knowledge, that's to know the past or what to do in the present. And by means, by the same spirit, faith, hallelujah, that's to have great faith, to step up and do things for God. By the same spirit, another, gifts of healing, that, you know, to lay hands on the sick, to see them recover, and gifts, plural, that spiritual, mental, physical, by the one spirit, to another miraculous uh, powers, you know, God can do things through you like he did back in Bible days, to another prophecy, that's to speak on behalf of God, to another distinguishing between spirits, that's to know what kind of spirit that you're dealing with. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues, that's tongues of angels or men that you have not learned. And still to another, the gift of interpretation of tongues. Now notice verse 11. All these are the work of the one and same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So I may be here today, and I don't have a manifestation of prophecy, but I may have the, the gift of faith. I still have the resource, the Holy Spirit, to get a prophecy, but today the Lord may not be manifesting that in my life. I have the source on the inside of me, but he may just not be dealing me out that, that hand today. How many know if you got the deck of cards, you got all the aces? Amen. And he's going to hand out those aces in every service how he wishes. And this is where, and I say this with all humility, and I've said it before, there are a lot of people claiming those traditional churches. We talked about five major ones here. But when do they ever do this right here? Isn't this a part of the church? Can I hear an amen if you believe that's part of the church? Have you ever been to a Roman Catholic service? I haven't been to many, but have you ever been to one where somebody had tongues and interpretation? You ever been there where they start prophesying? 
Have you ever been there where they start casting out demons? I'm not talking about the exorcist that does it every now and then. I'm talking about in the service because people come with all kinds of spirits. No, they just point you to religion. They point you to, no, but this is the church. Somebody say the church. Amen. This is church work right here. You just go down and see the illustration we've been talking about. Verse 12. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all in its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form how many bodies? One body, whether Jew or Gentiles. Thank you, slave or free. And we were all given to drink of the one spirit, uh, the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of what? Many. It's very simple. The one and the many. This, by definition, makes the triune God the only possibility for God's nature in the universe. Sometimes people say there are not multiple persons in God. If God, by his nature, does not contain one and the many, then where did the idea of one and the many come from? It is a philosophical issue that philosophers deal with because they are not able to explain how there can be one and the many. If you don't believe me, look it up. The problem with the one and the many. You didn't know this, but the Trinity solves the problem of the one and the many. The one and the many means that God is one in his nature, many in his persons, and that means one of his attributes was communicative and love and fellowship, and he didn't need humans or angels to do that. He did that within the blessed Trinity. And the number of perfection in fellowship is three. You cannot have it in two because two together have no one to love as a unit. Think about this. If one and one are together, they can love each other. I can love this one. That one can love me. But there has to be a third at least for perfect unity because then the one and the one together can share a love for someone other than themselves. Otherwise, they're only loving each other. Then together. Together in a perfect unity, they can love perfectly now somebody else other than themselves. And that is an attribute of fellowship that does not exist unless you have at least three or more. Can I hear an amen to that? And so sometimes people have thought that's why God had to have creation. No, in the Trinity, he's always had a third person. Perfect love, perfect fellowship. One in family, one in nature, and yet three in persons. Now think about this as you think about what the gifts are in your life. One spirit, but many gifts. Remember you see in Revelation, the seven lights, the seven uh, candlesticks there, the seven flames, which are the seven spirits of God. And some people have tried to say, well, now there's, you know, like uh, nine persons in the Trinity, Father, Son, and seven spirits. That's not what it's saying. The spirit of God manifests himself in multiple ways for different circumstances. When it comes to gifts, he does it in nine ways. When he does for the spirit and the character of himself. He does it in seven ways. Go to uh, Isaiah chapter 61, please. Isaiah chapter 61. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. How many know Jesus had the spirit of the Lord upon him? The spirit of the Lord was there to manifest these things. He was anointed to do all of these wonderful works here. And the Bible says that because of the spirit on Jesus, it was a confirmation that who Jesus was, that he was the son. And that as the Son of God, he was able to do what no one else could do without the Holy Spirit. In other words, as the Son, he was for us the perfect example of what it's like to be uh, submitted to the Holy Spirit. Now I'm going to give you, in Isaiah, go to Isaiah chapter 11. I'm going to show you now how Jesus bore perfectly the seven spirits of God. That's why in Revelation, he has the seven eyes upon himself. 
And a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, and his roots a branch that will bear fruit. Now count them with me. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. How many is that? One. The Spirit of wisdom, and the Spirit of understanding, and the Spirit of counsel and the spirit of might and the spirit of the knowledge of God and the spirit of the fear of the Lord and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. There's your seven. Do you all see that? In Revelation, it talks about the seven eyes, the seven candlesticks, the seven flames being the seven spirits of God. Jesus, because of Isaiah 61, being our perfect example, had all seven of these manifesting. Now when we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we see the nine gifts of the spirit. Let us pause here now and look at our own lives. How many of these do we see manifesting? 1 Corinthians 12, please. How many of these do we see manifesting in our lives? If you're not seeing them, then chances are you're not pursuing them. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, just a few chapters over. Notice what it says. Eagerly desire the gifts of the what? The Spirit. See, if you're not desiring them, chances are they're not coming. If you're not asking, then how can you receive? If you're not asking, how can you receive, brothers and sisters? So let me ask you the question. When was the last time you asked the Lord to prophesy? When was the last time you asked the Lord for mighty powers and signs and wonders? When was the last time you asked the Lord for these things? you got to pursue them. It literally says that, eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. And 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1 in the King James, please. It talks about pursuing these in the King James. The, the eagerly desire is the pursuit of these gifts. One of my consistent prayers is, Lord, empower me to do what only you can do. It's not just, Lord, I want to sit back and wait for you to do stuff. Lord, I want you to empower me to do what only you can do. Desire spiritual gifts in the King James. Pursue must be another translation. I thought it was there. Go to the New King James. See if it says it there as well. Is it also desire? 1 Corinthians chapter 14. You got to go after these gifts. Thank you, my brothers. Pursue them. Make it a passionate part of your life. Sometimes we say, well, whatever will be what will, is what will be. That's not how God wants us to look at the earth. God wants us to look at the earth as Play-Doh. It will be what God said it will be. Get your hands dirty and go do something with it. Amen. Come on, brothers and sisters. What are you doing to form and shape this world into the kingdom of God? He said that we are to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Supernatural, you can put up the chart, please. I want supernatural abilities. I want supernatural wisdom, knowledge, discerning of spirits. Now, at the end of the day, the Lord is going to manifest these as he wishes, but he wants to see us praying for them. He wants to see us asking for them. I haven't seen many people healed. I've seen my, some of my friends have seen many people healed. I want to see more of that. But you know what I've seen a lot of? I've seen a lot of prophecy and words of wisdom and knowledge, a lot of, lot of uh, tongues and interpretation. I've had at least uh, two or three times my tongues be understood by people who, didn't, you know, uh, who spoke a different language that I didn't speak, that I was speaking forth uh, you know, these mysteries of God. Go uh, for me, please, to our website. I want to show you how to look at a personal journal that I've kept to encourage you, because if God has done it for me, God can do it for you. And I want you to look back at my life, because sometimes we look at the book of Acts, and we go, oh man, they must just be seeing miracles all the time, and you know, I don't see those kinds of things, so what's the the use of trying? What most people don't understand is that the book of Acts is over a 20 plus year period. There's a lot of dry spots between there. You're just seeing the highlights, and go to search please and put in journal. When you, when you look at my life, you might think, well, Joe's seen a miracle every day. 
But I don't see a miracle every day. But when I put the highlights there, you begin to see like, wow, Joe's seen a lot. Look at this personal miracle journal. And I tried to update. It's been there since 2018. Now, just go ahead and scroll down. Here's casting out demons. I talk about some stories where I've seen that. And after every one, I have a witness here. I have a witness that someone could testify to what I'm saying is true. Now, just keep going down while I'm preaching. Thank you. I want you to see all of these. You have to go faster than that because it's a long list, brother. Thank you. I want you to think about this. There are no differences between you and me. If I asked you right now to put out a miracle journal, how many would you put on there? If I said to, me, to, to you, tell me how many visions and dreams you've had. Tell me how many messages of wisdom God has given you. How many messages of knowledge have you been given? You know, let's pause right here, please. You know, I always tell you about that police officer who told me he was a janitor. That's one of my things. But, you know, I didn't use it the right way. Here's another one, the pastor's kid. I was out in Belmont and Clark, and this guy was uh, mocking me and ridiculing me. And at one point, I just felt the Lord say, he's doing that because he's a pastor's kid. Tell him he's a pastor's kid. And I go, man, I just heard this in my heart. And sometimes you're going to feel weird doing it, okay? And you got to be able to, you know, to let them know if you're wrong, you'll accept it. You're not here to try to trick them and try to be right even when you're wrong. Uh, you know, so I said, here, this is what I'm feeling in my heart while we're talking. I believe God can speak to me. I believe you're a pastor's kid. And that's why you hate God. And that's why you're messing with us so much. And he immediately stopped mocking and his face turned white. And he was like, yeah, man, that's what I am. Now, I wish you would have repented, you know, because you can't give magic tricks to people and make them become Christians, but at least show them that God was moving. Another time I walked up to a young lady in our church, some of you know her, Monique, and I said to her, I don't know what it is, but the Lord wants me to tell you that you're his pumpkin. Now, I know that sounds weird, right? Like, man, pastor, that sounds like it's going to come into another kind of story, calling girls pumpkins and weird names, you know. That's going to be, a, a, you know, an issue in the church. But I just said, I just, I don't know what it is. And then she told me, she said, my whole life I've only had really one kind of endearing moment with my, my grandma, and that's when she would call me her pumpkin. Other times she was just angry, you know, and she was mean. You know, if you know Monique's story, she kind of grew up tough in, in a house that didn't show her a lot of love. She said, but that was just, that's just one of the endearing moments that I have is that when she would call me her pumpkin. And I said, that's what God is saying to you. Let me just give one that's not on my list. That came from another pastor. That's just, just as crazy sounding, but the Lord was in it. Uh, they were up praying for people, and the pastor said, listen, I, I know this is going to sound crazy, but i got to tell you this. God wanted me to tell you that he hates mommies and daddies. He hates them. He hates mommies and daddies. And, you know, come on, man. The Bible says, you know, honor your parents and all this. But this, this woman just starts breaking down in tears instantly. And he's sitting back watching God because it's not you making it up. It's what God is doing. And as she comes to a point to where she can share what's going on, he says, what, what, what's happening? I just got that. I don't know all the details. What's happening on the inside? She said, when I was molested by an uncle or a family member, he used to say, we're now going to play mommies and daddies. And you just told me something about my past I have never shared with anybody because I'm ashamed of it. I feel ashamed. And he said, you have no shame on you. Jesus never did, you know, look, did anything to you. You didn't lose anything. God's got your back. You know, prayed her through all of that. But that sounds crazy. God hates mommies and daddies. Just keep on scrolling. Thank you, my brother. What, what would be your miracles here? What would be the times that you've seen God move in your life? Because, brothers and sisters, I'm no different than you. I can't heal a cold. <laughs> How many know that? I don't know anything about your life. Like, if you try to put me to the test, what am I thinking now? I don't know. You think I'm weird? I don't know. I don't know what you're thinking about me or thinking right now. But I know that God has showed up before. 
I know that God has given me words before. I know that I've seen healings before. I know Lauren was with me one time. We were on the volleyball court, and we were playing volleyball, and this one young man's arm started hurting, and God was dealing with me at that time, you know, because the ball hit him because somebody spiked the ball, and that just happened to be me anyways. Uh, so his, uh, his arm was hurting, and, man, you know, not only did I feel bad, but the Lord was dealing with me at that time to pray for anybody that said they're sick or hurt. It's just I'm going to pray for you. That's what I'm going to do because I had been praying to see miracles and healings, and if you don't make a shot, you can never get a bucket. Amen? If you never step to the plate, you can never get a base hit. So I had to start putting, putting myself on the plate. I'm going to pray for you. And right there on the volleyball court, I said, in the name of Jesus, be healed. This is the young man's testimony. It's not my testimony. He said, man, I'm feeling something like fire right now. And I wasn't even touching them. I'm no good enough not to touch people when I pray for them like that because it can get weird. Some people are called to do that, but I don't do that. There's funny stories about people touching places they shouldn't be touching, okay? But, uh, uh, you know, I, I just put my hand right over it. And I said, be healed in the name of Jesus. Healing is the children's breath. I just started speaking the word. And he said, man, I feel like there's fire coming through my arms. And he started going like this. And I asked him the next week, because if there's anybody skeptical, it's me. I've been around so many tent crusades and healing services where the person will get a little bit high on adrenaline, walk off their crutcher for a little bit, and then go right back to it. I've been in Benny Hinn services. I've been around for a while, y'all. Listen to me. And I've watched them have to leave those crusades just as, as messed up as they came. And I feel so bad for them because the preacher wanted them to be be healed to the point to make them feel like something was, it was their fault. It didn't work. You know, it worked up here. Now it doesn't work out there. That's your fault. We never do that in this church. So I asked him the next week, I said, brother, tell me how your arm is feeling. Because if it was not going to be 100% healed, then I wasn't going to believe that was a miracle and I wouldn't testify about it. Now, some people believe God can give the gift of recovery, you know, and that's wonderful. God can use doctors, and we, we bless all of that. But I wanted an actual miracle where it went from hurting to not hurting to never hurting again. Can I hear an amen to that? And he testified. He said, no, man, after that moment you prayed, it was all good. Going back to the notes, please. How many are ready to use some spiritual gifts and be used by God? Amen. Look at the next passage, chapter 4 of Ephesians. Go there quickly. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. The Bible is teaching us now how to be used by God. I'm going to blow your mind right now because most people have taught that this is only for a certain class of people. I actually believe that every Christian has these on the inside of them right now. I don't believe they're merely, merely personalities. I've seen that done wrong too. So there's like two ditches. On one side, everybody's like, uh, you know, man, this is only for a certain group. You more than likely don't have this, so trust us, we got this. And then there's another group that lowers it down so much, says, oh, yeah, everybody's got it, but they're just like personalities, you know. It's like a choleric is like an apostle. That's like a type A person and so forth. And a, a, a prophet would be someone that feels others' emotions. Listen, I'm not talking about that either. I'm talking about real spiritual gifts are on the inside of every Christian here today, and they're meant to be used for service. So Christ himself gave. Somebody say gave. Notice it's a gift. Christ himself gave. The Lord gives gifts of service, Paul said. Christ himself gave, say these with me, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, obtaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now let me ask you a question. Where is the qualification for these five gifts? They're not listed here, are they? 
If you want to be an apostle, you have to be ordained by an apostle. You have to have somebody as an armor bearer carry your Bible to the pulpit every time you preach. And on special occasions, you need to dress up like mother and have people call you father as you put on the bishop robe. I watched one of my friends, man, he was as casual as could be, one of the funnest guys to be with. I saw him go through a ceremony. He was dressed like the Pope on, you know, Christmas or something. I was like, what are y'all doing here, man? He's just like, this is traditional. And I said, man, then I reject that tradition. You know, it, it may be traditional to do that, but it's weird, man. That's not how you normally dress. You don't see Jesus getting, and if you want to do that, I guess that's fine. But you don't see Jesus getting the boys together saying, hey, guys, that robe's not going to do. What I want you to do is go to Mama or Mima's closet, and I want you to pull out some of those doilies and those frills and those chills, and I want you to bedazzle something and bring it out. And then I'm going to anoint you. It gets quiet up in this church. You ain't never seen a bedazzled bishop or priest. Put up one if you're put pink pastor uh, priest robe. I, I used to show you guys this, and I felt guilty at the end. But I'm just y'all look at me blank stares. Jesus did not tell Peter to go into Grandma's closet and pull out some frills and chills. Are you guys listening to me? But where did that come? That's just tradition. That's just man's way of doing stuff. They did not dress like that in the Middle East at the time of Jesus. That's some European stuff, man, they started getting into. That's not how Jesus wants you to be. Now, once again, robes have been a part of different cultures. How many know that? Head coverings have been a part of different cultures. Yeah, let's, let's show that. that. That's not like we're going to have church now. Pastor, look how casual he is. I dress normal. That's weird. That's weird. Jesus, like I said, did not, I'm going to repeat it one more. You don't have to laugh. You just have to get it, okay? I'm not a comedian. I'm a communicator, okay? I'm not here to make, I just want to make sure you get this. He did not say, y'all are going to be pastors and apostles and bishops, and this is how we're going to distinguish is you're going to dress up, and then we'll know who's in charge. Seriously, it, whenever you watch them, it's like, who's the chief bishop of the bunch? It's the one with the biggest hat. It's the one with the most bedazzled. That's the bishop. That, that is not what we do. Going back to our, uh, our scripture, please. Thank you, brother. Doing awesome today. Notice this. It is a gift from God to help the body of Christ get to work. And every single one of you are here to be a part of that. When you look at Matthew 28, 18 and onward, the call of discipleship, while you're discipling people, you have to be able to do these things. So I always say it like this. You may not be an apostle, but you have to understand what an apostle does. See, I may not be a landscaper, but I know how to cut a, some grass, you know, every now and then. How many know I'm not a cook, but I can make something in my, in, in my kitchen? I'm not a baker, but I can put something together. How many know I'm not a bodybuilder, but I can lift some weights? Every one of us may not be the greatest of these. We, we may not be the one that everybody talks about, but we should understand them, and we should be ready to do them. Think about that. What's an apostle? An apostle literally means a sent out one. We're never going to be the original apostles, just like we'll never be the original disciples. How many know they were also called disciples? But are there still disciples today? Yeah, but we're not like them, writing scripture, having close contact physically with Jesus. But there are still disciples today. Are there still apostles today? Yes. Not the original ones who wrote scripture, who were physically in contact with Jesus, but there are still sent out ones. And then what are prophets? Those who speak on behalf of God. How many believe we need the voice of God on this earth again? 
And he's going to use the John the Baptists. He's going to use the different brothers and sisters. He's going to use the Deborahs. All of these people have been prophets before in the Old Testament. Now it's time for us to have prophets in the New Testament. It's not like just prophets go away. Anna there in the New Testament is a, another example. Of she's transitioning from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. The Bible says that Philip had four daughters and they all prophesied. That's the gift of the prophet operating in prophecy. Evangelists as well. Aren't we all supposed to be soul winners? So you need to understand what it's like to be that. I would challenge every single person to pray and see which one of these service gifts God is calling you to do. Well, I'm going to be called to teach a Bible study. Well, I want to be a part of the pastoral team and leading counseling. Or you could think about the age groups in there. Oh, I want to pastor and help lead children. How many know if you can be a mother, you can be a pastor? This is where these churches get in my head, and I just, I just wonder, like, are you weird? Or you don't understand what you're talking about? Women can't be pastors, but women's are mothers. How many know mothers like the greatest gift you ever had on the planet? Like, my mom taught me so many things. Like, now you're going to tell me she can't teach me the Bible because I'm a man? I understand what they're trying to say, but it's, it's, it's twisted. It's not the way the Bible looks at things. In Acts chapter 2, he says he'll pour out his spirit in sons and daughters. Okay, we're all going to have a place to be here. Let God use you in these gifts. If I'm sitting here today saying God has used me in all of these gifts before, and I'm saying you can be used, how many know that's encouraging? It's not like I haven't been using all of these gifts. I've been using all of these gifts. So if I'm telling you, guys, you can do it, I really mean that. As, as uh, was announced, we're going to Thanksgiving outreach on the west side this week, by God's grace. Come out there if you can. And as I shared with you before, when I first visited the church, I saw this picture of a woman on the, on the wall, and I said, who, who is she? And the pastor said, that is the woman who started the church. And then he took it one step further. Not only was she a pastor, apostle starting a church, you know, apostle would be like a sent out one starting a church and a pastor overseeing it. But she, he said, the first day he visited, he look, she looked at him and said, this man will pastor this church one day. How many know that's a prophet to say that? That's a first time, that will be like me pointing to one of the first time visitors, you will pastor this church one day. I don't think that man's a liar. Ask him the story when you see him this Thursday. That man is now the pastor, been there for 20 years, has been serving God. Mary, he's a blessed man. And a prophetess spoke to him the first day he walked in that church. You'll pastor this church one day. I've tried to get people to pastor this church. They quit on Jesus. They leave. Others say they don't want it. No, I'm half kidding here. But this woman was able to say, and it came to pass because God used her. Last part on the list. Go over there to the passage of Romans 12, verse 6, please. A lot of people don't know about this. A lot of times they only think of the five-fold ministry and the nine gifts of the Spirit. But there's another place. Remember, God, the Father, is going to give out these working gifts. And there's another place in Romans that gets so overlooked. Notice what it says. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each one of us. Gifts literally come from grace. And grace given means grace, grace, or given, given, depending on how you want to look at it. None of these things can be earned. It's all by grace. It's all a gift. Does everybody see that? See, let's see it again. We have different what? Gifts according to the what? Grace. What? Given. Man, how many more times does he have to say you don't earn this? But what you can do and what you should do and what we teach here is be trained in it. See, I was gifted with speaking, but I needed to be trained in it. I, I, I was gifted in leadership, but I had to be trained in it. That's why the Bible says, study to show yourself approved. A workman of God need not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Each one of us here may have some of these gifts that you're already recognizing. But don't just shove off the church right quite, you know, quite yet. You might have the gift, but you, and, and then listen to this. The gift in the Greek word is charisma. So you may have the charisma, but you don't have the character. 
You can have a place where your gift can bring you to a mountaintop, as the old timer said, but not the character to stay there. You're going to fall down like Humpty Dumpty. You're going to be t- tripping on down that hill. So many times I've seen my, my pastor friends, I, like I said, I've watched this one that I talk about him often because it's a good example of what not to do. I always tell people, you get close to me, you're going to be a proverb in my life, either of what to do or what not to do. Either way, I'm talking about you. Just be happy I don't name your name. Can I hear an amen? Yes, yes, yes. I am that kind of a pastor. Just everybody understand that. I'm not going to name your name. I don't want your lawsuit. But I always will look at your life as a proverb. You better use me as one as well. The moment this brother got some accolades, an intern, Bible college students coming to serve him. By God's grace, I've had them since I was 22 years old, single. I mean, I've had a lot of interns, uh, maybe upwards as 50 throughout the ministry. This brother gets his first one, has an affair with her, and gets her pregnant. It's like, come on, man, the first time the Lord promotes you, this is what you do in response. Let's think about this for a minute. If you wanted a chick, you didn't need to be a pastor for that. You could have went to the club. Why are you going to now use this opportunity to do that? You're defiling the house of God. And so, brothers and sisters, yeah, you may have a gift of communication. You may be able to do all that. But a good church is going to want you to be tested and approved and keep you accountable because we don't need any more pimps in the pulpits. Or we don't need any more molesting children's workers. Or we don't need any angry youth pastors, right? We don't need any unholy pastor's wives or Bible studies going rogue. Like, we, we just don't need that. What we need is the gift of God to flow through you. Now, notice what he'll do. He'll say some things we've already heard before, but then he'll enter into things we have not heard before. So in other words, think about the list of the nine and the list of the five, and minus those from here, and then you'll get your list of what we're talking about now. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy with your faith. If it is serving, see, we haven't heard that one, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. We heard that one. If it is encouraging, then encourage. Now, that's a new one, isn't it? Amen? If it is giving, then give. Woo, give what? Generously, praise God. If it is leading, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it what? Cheerfully, amen. Going to that list now. I add one more because if you go to 1 Corinthians 12, verse 28, there's one straggler there that doesn't fit in with the rest. Matter of fact, let's go there quickly in closing because sometimes people say women are only going to be used in certain gifts. So I asked them in this passage of 1 Corinthians 12, 38, where is the line between women and men? Notice this. God places apostles, prophets, teachers, and miracles and gifts of healing and of helping and of guidance and of different tongues in the church. This is what he does, right? Now notice this right here. Do you know that this word helping is basically like where we get the word administration from? How many know most churches have a woman administrator or a woman secretary? Why don't you got a woman apostle then? It throws in helping and guidance right there with the list of the apostles. It doesn't make any distinguishment. So over here, we just say that's for men. And then this is, okay, women, this is the only one you're going to be able to do. And then teaching only Sunday school. You know, come on now. I love showing people this list. And I say, show me the gender qualifications. And then what they do then is they hop, skip, and jump to other passages where it talks about women being quiet and all that. And that's in the context of women being out of order. Anytime someone's out of order, we're going to tell them to be quiet. And in Paul's churches, there were some pagan women coming out of pagan prostitute, uh, prophetess backgrounds. They were prostitutes who were also prophets. Think about that for a minute. That's how wild it was. And they were trying to control the meetings. And they dressed a certain way. They had braided hair, and they looked a certain way, and they did a certain thing, and God is dealing with them. But how many know these gifts are available for every gender, male and female, young and old as well? How many believe that? Amen. Let's go back to the list. Band and altar workers, would you come, please? 
By God's grace, I'll be moving on from the body of Christ portion of our church series next week into other places that I believe God wants to join us. Uh, God wants us to to learn, so please join us. Now ask yourself on this list, which ones has God already used you in? Which ones do you believe God is calling you to? And which ones right now are you struggling with the most? So which ones do you already have? Which ones do you believe God is calling you to? And which ones are you struggling with? If I was to be honest, it would probably be, you know, like being merciful. I'm not always merciful. How many can relate to that? (laughs) Hey, I'm not always merciful. Let's just be honest. I need Jesus to really help me in that. But I think God still wants me to be merciful. So I don't get permission to go, well, I'm a great leader. This is where I live. I'm right here, y'all. That's for you. That's for somebody else. This is for Sydney. Sydney, you're going to be merciful. I'm going to be the leader. I don't get permission to do that. How many know I don't get permission to do that? Yes, my dominant gift may be leading, and certainly her dominant gift is mercy if you're looking at that list along with 100 other gifts, but I don't get the permission to say somebody else will take care of that. So number one, what gifts do you believe God has given you? What gifts is he asking you to look forward to, and which ones are you struggling with? Because that's how you'll begin to grow. You can see what God is doing in your strengths and in your weaknesses. In my strengths, I look at this and I go, man, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good at this by God's grace. I'm not taking credit, but I'm like, man, I'm, I'm invested in leading. I'm, I mean, I'm doing pretty good. And, you know, it's okay. You're not being prideful, but then you got to be honest with yourself. But can I grow in that? Yes. Okay, now which one am I struggling with? Well, I'm struggling with mercy. That's the one I'm struggling with. Okay, well, then now you ask the Lord, how do I grow in mercy? How many know when you want to grow in something like that, God's going to send you a lot of people to have mercy on? <laughs> Y'all get quiet. Lord, just give me patience. And then he puts you in traffic for the next week while they do construction. Lord, make me merciful. Your child gets sick with diarrheas and you got to take care of them for the next week. Mercy, Lord. Yes, I'm teaching you mercy. Five problems go on in the church. Oh, yes, I want to be a merciful pastor, Jesus. Same thing with giving. Lord, I want to be a giver. And then all of a sudden you forget you pray that when you got your raise. You didn't give anything extra now. You just said, look what I did, look what I did. Well, hold on, didn't you pray that two weeks ago you wanted to give generously? You got to give back to God generously now. There are some people who live off the tithe and give God the 90%. You want to be one of them? Well, you got to be ready to trust God. Some of y'all got quiet. I'm just being honest with you. Some of y'all got quiet. The people that I know who have done that are millionaires. See, you got quiet because you thought God was going to make you broke. No, God's not going to do that to you. The ones that I know that live off the 10% have been so blessed, they go, I'm just going to give it away to God. I only need a million a year to live off of. I'm going to give the other nine million away. I make 10 million a year. Hello, somebody. And I'm not even just saying that it's got to be like that. But you better be ready to pray it and ask the Lord to encourage you because we get too lazy in the church. Let's just be honest. We let everybody who looks like the Susan Boyle now do the work. Well, look at how good you look, Joe. I'll just let you keep leading. No. I want the frizzy-haired Susan come up and start leading. Do you all get what I mean by that? Put that illustration up, please, in closing. Some people are like, well, the singer that we got now looks like this. This is how good Des is. We don't need this. No, we do need that. We want to take you right now where you're at and develop you. Oh, well, the Bible study that I go to, man, they're so put together. They look like this. No, we need this one right now where you still stutter every now and then. That's the one God wants to start using because we got to grow the body of Christ. We've got to grow up, amen? Would you stand up and give it up for Jesus if you want to do something great for God? Hallelujah. 
Father, we thank you for what you did in this service today. Lord, as we pray right now in closing, I ask you, if anyone doesn't know you, that they'll search their hearts and ask you to be the Lord of it today. Get all the junk out if you're not saved. Repent of your sins. Make it personal between you and God. In the name of Jesus right now. Come on, in the name of Jesus.